it's not all peaks. There's a lot of valleys in there, too. And David's life was that way. If you, we'll do a kind of a quick history and bring you up to speed on David's life, kind of review a little bit, and then we're going to wind up uh, talking about 1 Samuel uh, chapter 21 is where we're going to be. 1 Samuel 21 here in a little bit. But a little bit about David's life. You, you remember the story when, when Samuel is sent to Jesse's house to find one of his sons to be the next king. He looks through all of the sons from oldest on down. That's the way the, that Jesse presented them. He started with the oldest and worked his way down. Went through all of them looking for the king. And God said, don't look at their outward appearance. Look, I, I don't look at that. I'm looking further. I'm looking deeper. Goes through all of Jesse's sons except David. And Jesse either forgot about David or he didn't consider him to be king material. I think it's likely that he just didn't consider him to be king material. He's like, oh, there's, there's one more, but he's the youngest. He watches the sheep and he plays the harp. Probably, probably not your guy. But, but when Samuel was there, he's like, go get him. Go get him. And they bring him in, and God looked at him and said, that's the one I want. That's the heart I'm looking for. And so the word doesn't tell us this, but he anointed. He, we do know that he anointed David. And Josephus, the historian, says that Samuel leaned over and whispered in his ear, you're going to be the next king. So he, he was, Josephus tells us that, that he told him what this symbolizes and what it meant. And I think they all got it. I think his older brothers and Jesse, they all knew the one that they overlooked and didn't consider was the one that was going to be king. And you think from right then, if, I, you know, if, I'm, in, if I'm in David's shoes, I'm like, okay, let's, let's, uh, life's going to be pretty rosy from now on, right? I've been chosen. I've been anointed. This is going to be peaks, just nothing but hilltop experiences from here on out, right? Not quite so. What does he do right then? He goes back and he watches the sheep. He's a man of humility. He's got humble character. He could have lorded it over his brothers. He could have hung out, you know, said, I'm going to go to the, you know, go sit on the throne now. I want to go do it now. But he knew it was something to be done later. So he was humble and he went back and he, and he took care of his father's sheep. Went back to the role that he'd always been doing. A little bit later, he's out watching the sheep again, minding his own business, just like he was on the day he gets anointed. And his father calls for him and he says, hey, I want you to take some provisions to your brothers on the front lines. More than that, I want you to go find out how they're doing. I want you to take some food for them, but find out how they're doing. You know, your parents want to know how their kids are doing. So he sends his little, you know, sends David to go check on his brothers and bring back the report. And that's the story we get of David and Goliath. David gets there to the front lines and he picked, you know, if you look at the, I haven't been to this place in the Middle East, but I'd love to see it someday. But the way it's described, there's this stream, we would call it a creek probably, that runs through. And on each side of it for about half a mile, there's just this gradual slope, each side. The Philistines were on one side toward the top of the hill, and then they were working their way down, you know, kind of encamped. The Israelites were on the other hill and also kind of camped down along that hill. And then in between them is that no man's zone or demilitarized zone where the stream went through. So as David topped the hill... You can imagine what he saw. He sees these two armies camped on either side of this creek. And he, and he finds out pretty quickly about this, this giant Goliath who is challenging the men to a fight. Let's, we don't have to have 
army against army, just one-on-one, let's settle this. And, and I love the way David goes in. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who is talking down and talking trash about our God? It wasn't about us or about our soldiers. He was offended that, that Goliath would talk bad about God. You know the story. He, he picks up one smooth stone, goes out there, kills the giant, meets him right there in the middle and, and, and kills him. So, okay, surely this is going to be, from now on, it's going to just be hilltop experiences in my relationship with God if you're David, right? That's what you would hope. I mean, people, by the time they got back to town, people were literally singing his praises. They were singing, David, or Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And right there, something inside of Saul switched. And he saw David as a threat. And he decides, you know what? I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. He's there serving in the king's court. He's, he's playing music and, and wants to um, you know, soothe the king. He's got a place in the king's entourage, if you will. He becomes fast friends with Jonathan. And this, they've got this deep friendship. It says that Jonathan loved David as himself. You know, think about the greatest commands that Jesus gave us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I mean, that came way before Jesus. But he said, love your neighbor as yourself. This is the only time I remember anybody in the Bible being described really in that way. He loved him as himself. There was this really deep connection between the two. So much so that Jonathan gave him his weapons. He gave him his robe, signifying that everything I have is yours. And even the right to succeed Saul as king probably was inferred in that. So he's got this fantastic friendship. He's got his place on the king's court, but then that starts to unravel pretty quickly as Saul becomes jealous. Saul uh, one day tries to pin him to the wall with a spear. He throws a spear at him twice, and David eludes him. And David, you know, he's just killed a giant not too long before this. He could have probably fought back pretty easily and probably handled himself against Saul, but he, he didn't. He sees Saul and honors his role as king, and he flees. He flees from his company, and uh, as we follow, we get to the 21st chapter of, uh, of 1 Samuel. David flees, and he goes to Nob. And when he gets to Nob, he, he approaches Ahimelech, the priest. And Ahimelech, the priest, is, is afraid when he sees him, and he says, Why are you alone? Why, is, you know, why are you alone? And David doesn't want to say, I'm running for my life. He kind of tells this fib, stretches the truth a little bit, if you will, and says, hey, I'm, I'm on a secret mission from the king. I need some weapons and I need some food. So he's, he's really kind of come down from where he was. He was at, in the king's court and everything that went with that. Now he's kind of running for his life. The priest says, well, I don't have any food except for the consecrated bread. Oh, and David says, I'm not alone. I've got my, my men are like not very far away. So the king or the priest gives David the consecrated bread and says, okay, take it. David says, do you have any weapons? And he says, oh, the only thing I have here is the sword of Goliath, the giant that you killed. And I love David, what David said. He goes, there's not another one like it. I'll take it. So he's, he's not quite the rock bottom yet. But when he, when he leaves the priest's presence, he makes a really odd decision. He decides to go to Gath. Now, Gath, if you remember going back to the story of David and Goliath, who was, who was from Gath? 
Goliath was from Gath. So that's Philistine country. It's the heart of Philistine country. It's the, the pentagon of, of Philistine country, if you will. For some reason, David wants to go back there. Maybe it's because he thinks, okay, if Saul is trying to kill me, maybe I can go back there and maybe get some asylum or get some, some kind of uh, truce with the king, and maybe they'll take me in and I'll be protected. But when he gets there, look at verse 10. Um, David fled from Saul, went to King Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, Isn't this David? Isn't this the one, the king of, uh, David, the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. And David took these words to heart, it says in, in verse 12. I think when he says he took these words to heart, I think those words shook him to the core. He realized they know who I am, and this is not going to go the way I wanted it to go. And he makes this really crazy, pardon the pun, uh, decision here to feign insanity. Because look what the king says. Um, Verse 13. So he pretended to be insane in their presence, and while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. I love what the king says. He says, look at this guy. He's crazy. Why, why are you bringing me a crazy man? Am I so short of mad men that you have to bring me this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this come into my house just like a real politician? I've got enough crazy people around me. I don't need one more. But that's where David finds himself right now. He is at rock bottom. Think about all the things that David had. The things that have been taken away from him, and I'm going somewhere with this, and I want to hear your thoughts on it when we get there. But he had all of this stuff stripped away from him. He can't, when he's running from Saul, he can't go back home. He can't go back to Jesse's place where he used to watch the sheep and play the harp. The worst thing that would happen to him there back then was, you know, an occasional bear or a a lion that he would fight off. But he can't go back there because Saul's men would be looking for him. He's lost his place in the inner circle of the king. He's not in the king's entourage anymore. That's gone. All of the perks that went along with that, eating what the king eats, drinking what the king drinks, all of that kind of, it's all gone. Can't go back to that. His friendship, and plus he was given high army rank. He was given high rank in the army, and it says back in earlier chapters that every time he went out to battle against the Philistines, he had more success than any of the other commanders. But that's gone. So his rank and the authority that he had stripped away from him. He was given a wife, not just any wife. It was the princess because then he became the son-in-law to the king. Now his wife has basically been taken away from him because when he fled, she covered for him at first. She put a dummy in the bed and put some some sheepskin and and hair at the front and it looked like hair sticking out of of the covers and covered for him. But when the king figured out what was going on, she turned on him. She said, I had to lie because he threatened me. So that's gone. His friendship with Jonathan. He still has the friendship with Jonathan, but they're cut off. The last time they communicate, they have to do it with signals from arrows. Jonathan shoots an arrow and says, yes, my father's trying to kill you. Run. So he's taken, has that taken away from him as well. And finally, here in front of the king and all of his people in the king's court, his dignity is gone too. He makes this decision like, the only way I'm going to get out of this alive is to act like a madman. 
and he lets saliva run down his beard. And he just acts like he's completely gone bonkers, and they let him go. He escapes. And if you look at the very first of chapter 22, David left Gath, and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. He goes to this cave of Adullam. He is all alone, literally in a cave, in a dark place. And I, as I thought about what you guys are studying, you know, in our, our relationship with God, there are some times when it's really you're on those mountaintop experiences, but then there's also some times when you're in the deep, dark valley. And David had those valleys. I mean, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't fear any evil. He wrote... Um, the neat thing about David and his relationship with God is, is he recorded a lot of it for us. When he was in the cave at Adullam, he wrote uh, Psalm 142. If you've got that, look over at Psalm 142, and we'll get a little bit of the thinking of, of what's going on in David's mind right here. Psalm 142. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before Him. Before Him I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is You who know my way. In the path where I walk, men have hidden a snare for me. I look to my right and I see no one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. Verse 5, I cry to You, O Lord, and I say, You are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. David is at one of those really, really low points in his life. And looking at his life, I think this is... One of those times when you could say he's probably at rock bottom. Everything's been taken away from him. And you have to ask, you know, you have to put yourself in his shoes and you think, man, poor David. Poor David. What, what is he feeling? Well, we kind of get a look at what he's feeling when we read Psalm 142. And we think, man, David, if you just could see the rest of the chapters here, you'll know it's going to be okay. There's going to be some bad things. But we've got the rest of the, of the chapters here in First and Second Samuel. He didn't have that. But guess what? God does. God did with David, too. He had the rest of those chapters, and he knew all along, I'm doing this for a reason. So why did David go through all of this? Why did he have all of this stuff taken away? I've got some ideas, and I want to hear your thoughts on it as well. All of those things that David had were good things. There was nothing wrong with his fame, his place in the military, his place in the king's court. There was nothing wrong with him and his friendship with Jonathan. There was nothing wrong with him having a wife, a loving and supportive wife. Um, nothing wrong with, you know, trying to go back home to his father and that kind of... All of that stuff, good stuff. But those are all things that could replace our relationship with God. Those are all things that we could lean on when we get into trouble and not seek the relationship that we have with God. When he says, don't lean on your own understanding, but lean on me don't lean on your friendship with Jonathan don't lean on your place in your father's house or in the king's army or in the king's court or if your wife don't lean on all those things I want I want you to have nothing to get in the way of our relationship between me and you David it's it's God and, and you so it's in a sense God is kind of trimming everything off and 
getting it right down to the core of who David was, I think. And when you, when you trim everything away, you get David's heart, and David was a man after God's own heart. And then God says, okay, now I'm going to start building you into a king. And it's, a, it's beautiful what he does from here on out. And we, this is where we're picking up next Sunday at Buffalo Gap where people start showing up in the cave. I don't know how the word got out, but I think the Spirit was working way back then too. His First his brothers and his father show up, the ones who overlooked him a long time ago and didn't see him as king material are coming to his side. Then people who are outcasts, the ones who are in trouble with the law, the ones who have debts that they can't pay, the ones who are disenfranchised, they start showing up and they come along beside him. And pretty soon he's got 400 people, 400 fighting men, the ragtag bunch of, of, of motley crew to build an army out of. And again, it, but it's something that God's going to work with and God's going to do amazing things with. So as you're thinking about your relationship with God, there's going to be times when you, you may be in one now, one of those situations where you feel like you're in the cave and you, you may want to write some things like David wrote. And he wrote a lot of psalms like this, songs of lament and songs of crying out to the Lord. But look at every one of them, every one of them, when he has this complaint and he lays out how bad things are, there's always a turn in them. And in verse 5 of Psalm 142, he says, I cry to you, O Lord. He's laid out how bad things are, but he says, I cry out to you, O Lord, and I say, you are my refuge. You're the one that I'm going to hide in. You're my portion in the land of the living. living. So listen to my cry. I am in desperate need, so rescue me from those who pursue me. They're too strong for me, God, but they're not too strong for you. Just like he said with Goliath. I'm not going to kill Goliath. God's going to take care of Goliath. I'm just going to be the instrument that he uses there. And he says, set me free from my prison. Why? So I can be famous again? So I can have all the trappings that I had before? So I can praise your name. I'm going to praise your name. And then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. Another thing about our relationship with God and the tough times that we go through. If we go through tough times, really challenging times, when things are getting lopped off of us and it seems to be like we're getting cut to the bone. Another thing about it is people are watching us. People see how you deal with these low points in your life, and it's a time of testimony. They watch you, and if they see you get through it through, with God's help, they'll rally around you too because they want to praise God along with you. So I love, I love the story of David all through. It's just... He's a, he's a flawed character in some ways, um, but he's a man after God's own heart, and he's one that gives me hope. Uh, and when I'm going through a valley, when I'm going through one of those low points, when I feel like I'm in the cave and really hurting, uh, it, it gives me some comfort. I want to look at, at what he wrote, and I want to speak to God and say, whatever you're trimming away from me, trim it away, and so I can be rescued from this cave. And I want to come out on the other side praising your name, and hopefully other people will too. So I love this story. What, what are your thoughts on, why do you think David was going through what he was going through? Why couldn't he have just gone from slaying the giant, slaying Goliath, Saul says, you know what, I'm just going to step aside, you, you, you get the throne. It would have been so much simpler, but would David have been ready? 
Yeah, and agendas. Yeah. 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 And Saul's certainly didn't. You know, that's the other thing about it. You go back and you look at Saul and David. They continually display their character. You go back and read the stories up to this point. They're constantly doing things that show their character. Saul gets impatient. He won't inquire of the Lord. He'll just go do what he wants to do. David, just the opposite. He's always inquiring of the Lord. Um, and, yeah, people have agendas and they have motives and they have things that they want to do. And, and it, gets, it gets in the way. Absolutely. Something else you said, Curly, it made me think, and I've, I've lost it, but it'll come back to me. <laughs> but I, I love the fact, you know, God knows the rest of the story. He knows, he knew what was going to happen to David, just like we've got the rest of the chapters. He's got the rest of the chapters for your life, too. So when you get one of those moments of despair, don't despair. Just, just turn to the one who you want. If, if you come out with nothing else but a deeper relationship with him, then you win. You win. It's awesome. That's what he wants. And he'll, he'll work with that. Easy to say in, on, when we're sitting here all nice and, you know, cozy, right? Not as easy when we're, when we're in those moments in the cave. Um, yeah. Yes. And he does work. And the more you invite his attention by being God's man instead of his man, the more likely it is he's going to hack at you. You point, and paint he the bullseye. Going to be That's right. Because we always assume when bad things are happening, this is God trying. Why don't we just step back and say, no, this is not. This is me on the front line being on, on being attacked. I don't have the weaponry. Step back and let the champion. Yeah. We're so busy trying to be in the big prey and we're going to figure out what's happening. We have no idea yeah. what's happening. Nor are we ever going to figure That's out That's right. Or why. There is no reason. Satan's loose in the world. That's enough. Yep. What happened to David? Satan's loose in the world. And I've always been amazed that he went to his enemies and they knew who he was. Yeah. And Satan said, come on, come on, come on. Yeah. Right. Thank goodness, but he could have been. And it's, we're, we're so busy sometimes trying Yeah. If you stay over here where you're protected and he then when things are thrown at you, you realize it's just him. Yeah. And you go back and say, Okay, Lord, guess what? He's done it again. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, and the Lord 
And one of the things about Psalm 142 is, is David never accuses God. He doesn't say, why are you doing this to me? It's, always, it's, a, it's about other people are coming after me. And so he's, he, I, that's a great point. It's a subtle point. But he's not saying, God, why are you doing this to me? He's not seeking to blame anybody. But it's still, whatever happens to him horizontally just sharp, sharpens laser focus, that, that uh, focus on God. And what did David do? You know, a lot of times when we hit rock bottom, it's because of our own stupid decisions. He's done nothing, nothing that we know of here to, to deserve any of this. He's been a, everything that we've seen about David so far has just been nothing but on the up and up, a godly person, fears God, man after God's own heart, and still these things happen to him. And, and so, yeah, we, you're right. We have to be careful when things are going poorly or when things are going really well even about attributing it to God. You know, I've seen people who've been doing really well, but they're doing some things that, that they shouldn't be doing, that they're making money on, and they, they want to say, God's blessing me. I'm like, man, be careful. That's, that's kind of scary. You can thank God for your blessings. I, I believe in that strongly. But sometimes we do some things, and if we want to either blame God for the way it's going, or we want to give him credit for the way it's going, and I'm like, hey, it can be kind of, it can be kind of sketchy. I, I've heard of people that think God told them every day, which I, I literally knew, I didn't know her, but I knew of this woman, and she would say, God would speak to her in the morning and tell her what to wear that day. And I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. I don't have that kind of relationship. And a friend of mine looked at her and he said, he told you to wear that? <laughs> she didn't know how to take that. But. So, yeah, we have, to, we have to be careful with that. Blaming or, or attributing. But he hadn't done anything wrong. Still, he's going through this valley. And, and it reminds me of that, uh, the refiner's fire, you know. Put that, put that precious metal in the crucible. And they heat it, and they heat it, and they burn off the bad stuff and pour it off and burn it and burn it. it happens to us, too, sometimes, whether it's coming from just life in general or if it's God's hand. Because we do know in some cases we do have the word tells us when God does intervene. Like even with Pharaoh. Go back to the people of Israel when they were, you know, trying to, you know, when Moses said, let my people go. Pharaoh was going to let them go. A couple of times, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Sometimes God stepped in and hardened his heart for him because God had a purpose. And he's like, I'm going to use Pharaoh, you evil person that you are. I'm going to use you to, to make my point. But we don't, unless, unless we have you know, revealed to us that he's doing that, we can't, really, we can't discern who's, when he's doing it and when it's just happening. It's a complicated relationship. But... He just wants us to turn turn to him, whatever we're going through. And I love um, the song that James led us in. Um, in the second verse, I forgot the number of it, but uh, haste the day, oh the glorious thought, when when all of my sins, not just part of them, but all of them, are gone. They're nailed to the cross. And it's the second verse that a lot of songs we skip the second verse, you know, if we're in a hurry. But that's one that I absolutely love. But the only thing I would change about that is they've already been nailed to the cross. You know, it's, a, it's, it's just, it's a done deal. It's a done deal. So whatever I'm going through, David knows, we think, that he's supposed to be king, going to be king. But then there's still somebody trying to kill him. But I think somewhere in the back of his mind, God's still whispering to him, just sit tight. Sit tight. We're going to be okay. He'll get him through it. 
Yeah, it is. He's seeking, and until the end. And we know we know what's going to happen to him. So we're just waiting for that day. And with Job, you know, Job. When Job's friends came and sat with him for three days and didn't say anything, they did all right. And then they opened their mouths, you know. And once they started trying to figure it out and say, you know, Job, you've done something. You've done something wrong. So he just, you know, confess. And, and they, they even got Job to like, where he challenged God a little bit. And, you know, read the second half of the book of Job and you'll, you'll get over challenging God real quick. But, yeah, it's, God is a, he's, he is a patient God, but he is a just God. There's just so much about him that, um, fascinating. And the fact that he wants to have a relationship with me and you is a pretty cool deal. Pretty cool deal. So I take a lot of comfort in that and, and com- comfort in the fact that he wants pe- you know, he sees people like David, who's got his flaws, as a man after his own heart. So, Final thought. Somebody gets the final word. Alan, you've been awfully quiet. did yeah that's right you can go back with with joseph you can look at all it doesn't say you know but you can kind of infer when when joseph got put in prison he's you know what better place to learn the inner workings of the politics of a country than to get put thrown into the king's prison that's where all of his people, when he's mad at somebody, they go in a special prison. So his, his baker and his cupbearer and probably whoever knows else, you know, are down there. He's probably getting a lot of 101 in government and how things work in that country. Retrospect, you can look back and you can say, wow, okay, I learned a lot doing that. It's the same thing for us. You can look back in your own life and say, man, when I was going through that really rough period, that, you know, that time in my life, you know what? I can see now in retrospect what it did for me. At the time, you don't feel it, but you can look back in retrospect. And then when you face them in the future, it's like, okay, like a friend of mine always says, whenever I'm going through something, whether it's from God or just my own choices, if I'm going through a rough time, my prayer is that I will learn what I'm supposed to learn quickly so I can move on, Lord. Can we, can we learn this quickly and move on? And, and that's a fair prayer. I think that's pretty much what, what David is saying in Psalm 142. Lord, can we move on? I want to be stronger with you, but let's get out of this cave. That's what we need to do. So, it's a it's a great thing that he wants to have a relationship with us, flawed as we are. He's taken all of our sins and nailed them to the cross, and he gave everything to have a relationship with you. So, pretty awesome. Let's pray, and then we'll uh, we'll dismiss. Father, thank you for uh, David, a man after your own heart. Thank you, Father, for giving us all these stories, um, real world stories that of men who were flesh and bone and walked on this earth and some who served you well and others who served themselves but father through all of their stories we learn about you and we learn about ourselves and our relationship with you and with with each other those around us too father uh, father when we go through hard times uh, may we use those to just to strip away the things that need to be taken away the 
impurities in our lives. And, and Father, whatever the cause or the situation we're going through, uh, we just pray that it will bring us closer to you. Keep our eyes focused on you and walking with you uh, until the day when, our, when we do see things more clearly and we understand and we're with you. And then it will all, all be perfect. So thank you, Father, for Jesus, for giving uh, him for us and for all that you've done and continue to do to, to bring us home to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.